Welcome to the Higher Ed Jobs Podcast. I'm Andy Hibble, the Chief Operating Officer and one of the co-founders of Higher Ed Jobs. And I'm Kelly Sherwin, the Director of Editorial Strategy. So we're back today with the Mailbag episode, and we are with our special friend of the podcast, Matt Trainum from Credo. Thanks for joining us again today, Matt. I love being a special friend of this podcast. Thanks for having me. Matt, we have a great question today here for you. So from the listener, I went through two sets of interviews and was the final candidate to meet the president. At the end of our interview, I never heard back from him. Six months later, I found out he wanted the position advertised again. He later promoted one of his faculty to the dean's position. Another instance happened in a community college. I had a final interview after being successful with the preliminary interviews. I never heard back from the institution again. I called the chairperson from the search committee who gave me their business card. They told me that the position had not been filled and had no idea of what the president wanted to do. My question is simple. How to cope with no response after interviews? I'll tell you, as you all know, I've done executive search before, and I also send out these questions to colleagues around the country. And I had a, a VP on the West Coast right back and tell me this. I'm going to read it here for a minute. The theory is that fundamentally the search interview process should be the first introduction to the institution for candidates. Institutions should train their search committees to communicate, communicate, communicate with candidates, even if they have nothing new to update. But the reality is very different. A VP on the other coast wrote to me back and said, we really could do much better on all of this, couldn't we? And so from across the coast, we're hearing from folks who say, this is not uncommon. And I hear two questions. The candidate was nice enough to only put forth one, which is, how do I manage? There's an embedded question here of, why is it like this? You know, why, why is it like that? Why is it so hard? And so I'm going to address both the, how do you manage and the, why is it like this? So first, why is it like this? I'm going to give you three reasons. My first reason here is a loosely coupled process that isn't really tightly built to the end. And so you've got in a search committee, you've got a hiring committee, you've got a search committee, you've got the HR operation, you have the hiring authority, the supervisor of the person, you might have a president and exec team. So you have all of these layers and the transitions, the communications, the coordinations, the relationship, the authority between all of those layers isn't always clear or clean or fast. So it might be clear and clean, but it might not be fast. It might be fast and clean, but it might not be clear exactly on what's happening at each given moment. And so this loosely coupled process means that it goes slow even after the process seems like it's done. So we sit in this limbo where committees have done some things, HR is doing some things, the president might be on vacation for two weeks and nobody knew that, we're waiting for the president to sign off on something. And so there's the question of who has the ball right now? And sometimes that can last for several weeks. So we have this loosely coupled process. Secondly, I will tell you, having done a lot of executive search, there's a lot of legal worry that comes up for folks and they often don't verbalize it, but they're worried if they say something to a candidate that they're gonna get in trouble. And so they pause and they, they wait and do a lot of what I would call unnecessary, perhaps, reflection on what's the right thing to say and when. And so we have this loosely coupled process where things are moving slow. We have legal worries about what people can actually say. And then the last one I would say is there's a priority and timing issue where, frankly, one of the things I often say to candidates is this job, getting this job is the single most important thing for you right now. But for whoever's hiring you, they have 15 other things that are also going on that are important for them. And so that priority for them is harder. Their timelines that they present are, let's call them idealistic. 
and uh, often based on first offer priority. So they're going to idealistically imagine that they're going to get a job offer out a week after the final interview. But really what they do is they get a decision out of the committee out. And then it has to go to HR and then go to the president and then maybe go to a board member, depending on the level of the role. There's a lot of complexity to it. And so committees are really bad at imagining priority and timing. So why is it like this? We have a loosely coupled process with a lot of different entities moving. We have legal worries that slow what people feel comfortable saying. And we have priority and timing that are just hard to predict and hard to get right, especially if you're the candidate. The institution's less worried about those things. I had a few folks write back and tell me that it's not uncommon for them to go six weeks after making an initial offer before the offer is really tied all the way up in a bow. So a candidate might accept the offer after two or three weeks of salary negotiation, but then they've got to go through background checks and the background checks might get hit with something, which might take it another two weeks. And now we're six weeks later and we don't really know what to do and how to re-engage with this candidate who we had on campus, who's now in second place. It's hard to go and say, hey, I know it's been six weeks and I know you probably know you didn't get the job, but I'm going to reach out to you and officially tell you you didn't get the job. Sometimes people feel like that's really awkward, even though they should totally do it. Matt, everything you said made perfect sense. And I know a lot of it's on the, on the job seeker side is about being patient. And I'll just share a quick personal story. I know you mentioned that sometimes it takes several weeks. I was in an interview process one time where it literally took a couple months and ultimately I ended up getting that position. But about halfway through, I had someone from the committee actually reach out and say, kind of like what you were saying, there's things going on on our side. There was other approval and people on vacation. So we just want to let you know that we are still in the process. I mean, in the meantime, I was still continuing my search, but it's the whole communication process that needs to stay open, hopefully. And yeah, it is sometimes hard to be patient because the, the job seeker doesn't always know what's going on on the other side. So I was fortunate to actually have someone reach out to me. But for that person that doesn't receive any type of response, no news doesn't always mean that's good news. So how does that job seeker cope with that lack of response? So to the, how do you manage it? I, I would give, let me give four Ps to over alliterate here. Be patient, be polite, be persistent, and be positive. I think all four of those Ps come in. And so patience is understanding that they might not have answers as quick as you might think they do and as quick as they promised. Polite can show off in how you're asking and doing your follow-up and the tone of those and what those sound like. Persistent, I, I do believe there is room to follow up and ask, how is it going? Um, they will usually give you a timeline at the end of the interview. Based on that timeline, you can 100% follow up. And I can tell you more than once I've been present to see a hire happened because someone was persistent in following up on the timeline. And so that might've been because a first candidate dropped out. That might've been because they were asking in a way that kept their candidacy alive and in front of the team. And then be positive. I'll tell you again, if you're three or four weeks in and you get an offer after an on-campus interview, you might be perceiving accurately that they offered someone else and that person turned them down. I have had more candidates than I would imagine get really bothered by that. Having this perception that they were not the first candidate and then drifting into a non-positive place about that. And it doesn't matter. That past part doesn't matter. So be positive about whatever the communication is that's coming and be positive about your communication back to the institution. Also be truthful and authentic about what you're wondering but be positive about what might be happening. So 
Uh, my advice, be patient, be polite, and be persistent, be positive. That's what I got from uh, folks around the country when I asked a question around this. I might actually, just for a moment, take a slight sidebar here and just turn that question around. Although I cannot give you uh, as concise or do the alliteration like Matt does, I think you have to put yourself on the other side of this. If you're somebody responsible and a candidate's reaching out to you, I think you have to lead with empathy. You have to look at the situation and say, how would I feel if this was happening to me? And if you're in a spot with that sort of test and you're like, I would not be cool with this, it's probably time for you to address the issue. And while it might not be comfortable with superiors or colleagues to say, hey, listen, Matt's applied for this job. He's getting back to me again. I'm fine saying to Matt, there's no news, which Matt as a candidate needs to accept. There's no news. I can't change it. But the simple fact of following up, owning the fact that there's no news and being responsive to Matt in real time, I think is an important part of the process. And if the process is actually 100% over and somebody is hired, and you do not want to let candidates know that they are not being considered for a position because it's filled, to me, that's pretty unforgivable. That's a lack of leadership. It's a lack of courage. It's completely ignoring what a person has put into an application and just kind of really forgetting what it's like to be on the other side. We all have been on both sides of this process. And if it's been so long that you can't remember and you're having a hard time understanding what somebody on the other side of the table is going through, I would suggest you you really need to find that empathy quickly, or I'm not really sure you should be involved in the process if you can't bring a little bit of empathy because you are not in touch with what it's like to apply for a job today. We've talked about this in the past from the job seeker side. Maybe that's not a leadership team that you actually want to work for. It could be a red flag that this, this isn't a good fit, going back to previous questions we've had. And if you're wondering why you're having a hard time recruiting people, I will say that I do believe that people do talk and people who are working in this field who are repeat offenders, and this is just kind of the way they operate, are having a much tougher time in this market than people who understand that this is recruiting that goes both ways. You're recruiting the candidate, but the candidate's also checking you out for what the opportunity is. I agree with all of that so much. I agree with all of it so much. I'll say that twice. And then I'll say, this is probably one of the most frequent complaints I've heard from candidates at all sizes of institutions and all kinds of institutions. And shockingly, all the way up the ranks in vice president and dean positions, even presidential roles, not hearing back and not hearing back for a long time. And whether it's because the process is, again, loosely coupled and no one's really holding it well, whether there's legal worries, whether there's priority and timing. I would say this is a really common post-interview limbo complaint area. And so candidates just need to be ready for that and figure out how to not worry too much about it. While also, I love where you all both are, trying to figure out if there's some assessment they can make about the institution and their happiness there based on how the process goes. Matt, thank you so very much. If you want to get a question to Matt because Matt loves questions, please email us your question at podcast at higheredjobs.com or tweet us at higheredjobs. Matt not only tries to answer these questions, but he also sends them out to his network to see what folks in leadership roles in higher education might think of your question. So please send us some more questions. We'd love to hear from you. Thank you, Matt. Y'all, it's always a treat to be here. Thank you. Thanks for listening. <laughs>